podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Olympics and the Paralympics are next year. Yes, you heard me right. Next year. So in the world of high-performance sport, qualification is in progress, decisions are being made, details finalised, and medal moments being plotted. I'm Michael. And I'm John. This is Great British Bosses from Anything But Footy. And for the 11 athletes on the world-class programme at one of the nation's Paralympic sports, there were very good results at the recent World Championships in Brazil and the aim of continuing a proud run of medals dating back to Sydney 2000. All with a new man in charge. Yeah, thank you guys. So I'm Greg Baker. Uh, I'm the performance director of Boxer UK. Uh, relatively new into the role, so started the role in in August and um, of 2022. And ultimately, my my job is to provide strategic leadership to the world class program and trying to get the athletes to to achieve medal medal success at major championships that includes European, Worlds, and ultimately Paralympic Games. Let's just reflect on the end of, of 2022 and a trip to the Southern Hemisphere for you guys. World Championships in Brazil in Rio. How do you look back on it? Yeah, it's relatively, well, very fresh for us. So literally only been a few weeks since we got back. We, we were straight into a Christmas break. So that was that was quite nice for all the staff and athletes involved because it was a, a, a very tiring, if you like, preparation phase towards Brazil. A lot of competitions, a lot of training camps. And then Brazil itself as a major championship always is. It's it's very emotions running, uh, you know, medal matches, you know, people winning, losing, all sorts going on. So it, it can be quite emotional. So it's good to get a break it over the Christmas period. But a very good, uh, in summary, uh, world championships for us. It's definitely put us, I would like to say, on the map for international botcher. You know, we've been on the map before, but this we've really made a, a statement um, at the World Championships being, you know, winning three medals. First time Botcher UK have got to three World Championship finals. Uh, of those three medals, we had a, a gold medalist and that gold medalist is, is a new gold medalist, the female uh, Claire Taggart, uh, a, new, a new gold medalist there and then two silver medals. So we were very close actually to winning three gold medals, which would have put us at the top of the, the list of, of all the countries there, top of the podium, if you like, in terms of the medal uh, tally. So we come away from there very pleased. And in addition to the three medals, we had other athletes beating uh, athletes inside the top 10, getting out of the, the group pools into the quarterfinals last 16. So we know what we now need to do to, to build on that and build on that platform for Paris. But coming back away from it, very happy. Uh, but of course, when you do well, you've got to back it up. So that's the, uh, that's the challenge now going into the next 18 months. So how does the World Championship programme in terms of the different disciplines and categories compare then to the the Paralympics. Are we saying there's three medals in the World Championships, so if the Paralympics were tomorrow, there'd be three Paralympic medals? Well, we definitely have a chance in those in those three uh, events that we medaled in. Um, we, we are very much up there and, and can, you know, as it is, we have a lot of technical skill development sports. We will have a medal a chance, but of course, you could easily lose last 16 quarterfinals. So we're going to have to be very on, on the money now to make sure that we are doing everything more, if you like, than what our competitors are doing and, and countries around us. So we don't not now just get complacent and just keep doing what we're doing for the next 18 months. We've got to look to, to slightly change things so we can be even more prepared for, for Paris. But yeah, we are we are within a shout within those three medals. It's the programme for Paris is is literally the same as the World Championships. You, you could argue to say that the World Championships had more, will have more athletes there than the Paralympic Games because the Paralympic Games qualification process is a, is a lot harder, a, a lot tougher. So the best 
best countries will be at the the Paralympic uh, the Paralympic Games. So in addition to just being you know something that the whole world gets to see and it feels different because it's a Paralympic Games, then that that's the only difference. So you're absolutely right. Those th- those uh, events that we took three medals and we will be um, there or thereabouts come Paris. And boccia, of course, is a purely Paralympic sport. It is. It is. And for me, that's what makes it really exciting and really unique. We don't have an Olympic counterpart. You could argue to say that the sport is similar to bowls, um, you know, but indoors uh, and similar to, to some other sports. But but it is on its own in terms of that uniqueness. And, and I think it's fantastic for athletes who have um, the, the severity of the disabilities that are involved in Boccia to get to get involved in Boccia, which I think is fantastic. It, it, you know, we are the sport that... I always like to say, and maybe as you know, other people might disagree, but we're the face of the Paralympics because it is the sport for Paralympic athletes that doesn't have that uh, counterpart or the able-bodied Olympic counterpart, which which has its pros and cons, of course, in terms of getting people involved in the sport. But I think it makes us unique and, and we can really build on that. I think World Botcher are doing as good a job as possible to market it and get more people participating in the sport as well. Well, Boccia is, it's really well represented around the world. There's a lot of countries that, that do it. There's a lot of athletes that do it. And we just need to speak more about that, I think, on the international landscape to get people more understanding of what Boccia is, what it can involve and who can take part in it. And before we talk about you and your switch from uh, para table tennis to to Boccia, just finally on, on the actual sport itself, you mentioned there about, about Paris. Who are your main competitors? You say it's a wide number of nations taking part. Who are the main ones you're thinking and focusing on? And I'm assuming France, the fact that they're hosting the Paralympics, are also investing quite heavily. Yeah, France have got a big team and they are investing and that they will be there or thereabouts, of course, with the home games. As you know, every country, as you say, in home games increases their sort of competitiveness by 30, 40%. So you always have to watch out for, for home, home games athletes. In addition to that, um, some of our, if you like, big competitors, rivals, and I've been tracking since I started the role and trying to make connections with as well to to make sure we've got some training opportunities with them and and, and so on. To, to is Thailand, uh, you know, uh, I think Hong Kong, Brazil, they've got big teams. They're centralised. They're training a lot. Um, they've got a lot of good af- good athletes amongst all of the classifications. So not you know one or two athletes that do well. You know they've got a broad range of depth of athletes that can come through, and also you can see some of the new athletes coming through in those countries at some of the uh, younger pathway competitions as well on the international scene. So there are others. You know you, you get some countries that have a pocket of two or three good athletes, and they will always be there. It's like Colombia and BC four have got some really strong athletes. But in terms of broad sort of the, the whole team being good. You're looking at Hong Kong, you're looking at Thailand, um, you're looking at Korea. There are a lot of Asian nations that are coming through, but there's a real big spread of medals actually within the championships and, and the world championships and Paralympic games. So there's not one dominant force, if you like, dominant country. Like in table tennis, it would always be China. They would come home with the most medals, then it'd be Korea. And then who's going to get that third spot would be the, the sort of uh, mentality. Whereas in Boccia, although those countries I've mentioned do very well across the international scene uh, in year by year, when you look at the major championships and you look at the data, there's not one country that are above everybody else. So so I see that as a real opportunity for GB. To, can we be that nation? Um, we've got some work to do to get there. We've definitely got athletes, as we say, that are now made of potential, as we've seen at the World Championships. And we obviously had David Smith, who remarkably has won, you know, two gold medals back to back, World Championships back to back. But we want to increase that depth and breadth. And we know we've got to look at the future coming through. And we've set a target of, you know, the next 10 years 
years, can we be that 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 country that is above everybody else? And we have depth coming through. We've got the right culture as well, and we've got and we're winning medals at all major championships and Paralympic games. So there's an opportunity here. But those countries I mentioned, Asia, are definitely the ones that stand out when you look at all competitions um, throughout the year. And for those of us that follow Paralympic sport quite closely and follow it on the radio, watch it. David, as well as having his Paralympic gold medals, also has the best hair in the uh, in the Paralympics. It was it was quite some do he had uh, at the last Paralympic Games. John mentioned, of course, that you've switched from from para table tennis. Yeah. Tell us a bit about boccia as a game, and did you have to teach yourself? the game or how does that switch from one sport to the other kind of manifest itself? Yeah, it's definitely a challenge, um, you know, to, to go from one sport to the other. I think we'd be all naive to say that it's absolutely easy and there's nothing to it and you just, you just crack on. Um, the similarity, the reason why I chose Botch actually is, is also, it's a great opportunity. It's a Paralympic sport. I love being involved in the Paralympic world and really helping the athletes be the best they can be in that space. But also it's a technical skill development sport. So similar to table tennis, where you have to do X amount of volume, um, X amount of training to get to a, to a certain level. It's repeat, repeat, repeat. Um, there's a lot of things that can go wrong on the day or right if which way you want to look at it, because the, you know, if you could be the best prepared you can be, but then if your opponent's better than you or well, things happen in the game, there's a lot of strategy involved, a lot of tactical decision-making, you know, you've got to be in the moment, absolutely switched on. And it doesn't matter if you've got loads of form going into a competition, things, you know, you've just got to go in the moment. And that's similar. Table tennis and are quite similar like that. So to go into a sport that has those similarities, um, in terms of that technical skill development side was something that I, I, I really wanted to do. So I came into the sport, obviously, with all my table tennis background, knowledge, expertise. Um, but, but of course, boccia is, is a different sport. There's different rules. There's, there's obviously you, you're participating against somebody else. You are competing against somebody else, which is similar. But of course, there are different rules that you've got to get used to. And so you go in and ask a lot of questions because you, and I'll still probably ask questions until the day I leave because there's always things changing. And there's always things that, you know, coaches have been involved in the sport for 12, 13 plus years. Athletes have been involved for 15 plus years. So you're coming in and just being really curious to know what's going on. What are they seeing? How can I add some, a, a different layer of performance that they may have been, you know, blind to because of our biases and unconscious biases when we're involved in the sport for so long, as I would have done as in para table tennis for so long and, and, and people coming in and challenging me in the way that I look at the world. Um, so, yeah, I, I've had to, uh, I've watched a lot of a lot of matches on YouTube from previous Paralympic Games. I went to my first competition in Rome and I said to myself when I went to the competition in Rome, I, I need to obviously lead the team and get the best out of the team, but I'm going really curious. I'm going to go without thinking that you know what the rules are. I'm just going to go and see what happens and ask questions and, and try and observe for myself and, and came back from there with a lot of learnings that I took into the World Championships. And there's still things today, six, seven months into the role that, that are coming quite new to me. Um, but the more you get to know Botcher, the more you fall in love with it and the more it becomes, um, in the moment, a real pressurised sport, a real a real sport where you've got to make the right decision at the right time. And one little wrong decision can really put you into a, a um, difficulty then to come back into, into the game, but it very similar to, um, to curling actually. And curling is a, is a sport that we have put ourselves as a, quite comparable to in terms of the tactical decision-making in terms of looking at the data to see what, what could happen in the next shot based on the data that we have in front of us. And that helps inform coaches and athletes decision when they're on the ground. So we use our analysts for that. We've got a project in the background that we're working on uh, with that. So coming back to your question, yes, I've had to 
ask questions to the athletes, the coaches, watch myself um, and get stuck into it. But I'm definitely a performance director that wants to understand all of that, you know, because that's performance on the ground. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not someone that's going to leave all that, if you like, to the coaches and the athletes. I will in terms of them taking ownership and autonomy, but I really want to know what they're going through, want to know what they're feeling, what they're seeing, what they're hearing, understand the technicalities of the sport, because then you can get involved in conversations that um, that are really important to the athletes. And, and, and that's, that's the most important thing. And you had some terrific success with British para table tennis. Was it just time for you to, to move on? Were you seeking a new challenge? What was the thinking behind the move? Obviously a, a step up, I guess, as well, in terms of becoming a, a performance director as well. I mean, it's always challenging, isn't it, when you leave your sport that you've grown up with. I, I was with table tennis in, from seven years of age when I first picked up a, a bat and, and, and represented the sport a junior international career into coaching Olympic side, Paralympic side, worked my way up into head coach and then head coach for the 14, 13, 14 years when we were centralized in Sheffield and, and went on a, a real, real journey with Paratewa tennis from um, being the nobodies, if you like, in, in the international circuit to then being one of the best in the world. And they've carried on uh, expanding, getting better and developing uh, since my my departure, which is great. And they're always going to be because they've got a really good system and programme now in place. But the decision to leave Paratavis was for a new challenge. Um, I'd always said that one day, you know, I wasn't going to be in table tennis for my whole of my career or Paratavis tennis for the whole of my career. And, and I think the athletes knew that, that the staff knew that. And it was just a matter of it felt like the right time. I, I, I'd done four Paralympic Games with Paratavis tennis, we had been on that journey, as I said before, to to go from from a, a real developing nation to then one of the best nations with world champions, Paralympic champions, world number ones. Uh, and I wanted to challenge myself to see if I could take some of those learnings, experiences, insights into another sport and, you know, really help that sport then really reach and maximise on their potential athletes staff you know the whole program and and so I, it was a, it was the right time for me to do that and I've always wanted to lead a program um if I go back to, to day one coming into sport so you know I feel really lucky and fortunate to enough to be able to do that but uh, it as, as as always it's very difficult to leave the sport that you sort of love and grown up with um but it just felt the right time after Tokyo and also the right time for para table tennis to go to, you know, to look at things differently. I'd been in, involved in the sport as a head coach for a long time. And I thought it was a great opportunity for someone to come in with different ideas as a head coach um, to, to take on the, the reins and, and, and take the sport forward even more. You're listening to great British bosses from anything but footy. And we're talking to Greg Baker, performance director at Botcha UK. What's the main difference then, Greg, that you're finding from being head coach of something to being a PD? Yes. I mean, ultimately, it's about people. And I always have to come back to that. That That is the same. Uh, it, you are trying to get the best out of people, whether that is coaches, sports scientists, operation, pathway staff and the athletes. You're trying to get the best out of them. And I think first and foremost, that is the same. And for me, that's the most important part of the role is, is people getting the best out of them, creating relationships, um, showing compassion, empathy, but being able to challenge as well at the right times. Is, is very similar to the head coach role. It is about people and it's that people leadership. The differences are all, all the other things that come with the performance director role around um, being the lead rock person for culture 
of uh, leading culture and showing that exemplary leadership from all aspects of the program. Um, the finances that are involved, you know, you are the lead person responsible for the budget as much as you have support and help with that from non-execs and also operation managers, etc. You are totally in in, in charge of, of the budget response uh, responsibility. And then in in a in a sport like Botcher, we don't have a chief exec, so I become the lead responsible for governance, for anti-doping, for safeguarding. Um, so all these sort of non-performance aspects of the role as part of our strategic um, or strategy becomes my sort of responsibility. And so that is that is a, a big shift um, going from head coach, where you're involved day to day on the ground with coaches, practitioners, getting the best on the athletes. Whereas now you have that still, that's still part of the role I see as a performance director. But then you've got all the other bigger aspects as well in terms of leading the program strategically. So they're the big shifts. Um, it, it felt I felt ready to to go into that, however, because in my head coach days, I the role became less less every year technical. And more around senior leadership team, more around what are we doing in terms of the budget, where are we going in terms of the sport of the strategy. So it felt the right time then to go into performance director, given where I wanted to go eventually in my career. But that there are always different aspects of the role. And I think one of the challenges in a PD role is that you can get, um, and we've shared this on the performance directors forum, and it's something that UK Sport are looking at, is you can get dragged into, dragged into is probably the wrong word, but you moved into lots of different areas and everyone wants a bit of a piece of the PD because they have got insight knowledge and they, you know, they can be taken into all aspects of a, of a national governing body. And I suppose the biggest thing, the big learning for, for PDs is where are we going to make the biggest difference? You know, what, what is the, the few things that we need to really focus on as opposed to spinning so many plates that we're not then not making as much impact as we want to. And that's probably the challenges going forward. So would it be fair to say, Greg, in your opinion, that a performance director, say, at cycling or athletics is a different role to performance director at boccia or table tennis? Yeah, I, I would say so. Yeah, I mean, I can't say clearly without being involved in those sports fully, but my only from from being involved in conversations with those PDs and just, you know, seeing what I see is that, you know, there's there's more money involved. There's a bigger funding. There's more responsibility in terms of staff turnover. There's more athletes on the program. Um, so as a, for example, as a PD in, in cycling or athletics, you may not get involved in the day-to-day -day activity in terms of coaches, athletes, as much as you would want to because of the everything else that comes with it and all of the operational side, the business operational side, the leadership side, the stakeholders, the board, all of those areas. That is still the same in Botcher, but pay probably to a less scope because of the funding that's involved compared to those other sports. So that's where the biggest difference is. I think the bigger the sport, the more that you can get brought into different committees, different boards, um, working on, on, on completely different projects and some of them performance rates and some of them not. And I think as a performance director in, in, in some of the bigger funded sports, you know, you'll be looking at the the whole of the national governing body as opposed to the world-class, only the world-class program, if you like. Whereas in, in Boccia, you know, we are a standalone world-class program. We, you know, we have a vision of where we want to go as a sport, but we're ultimately responsible for the results of the athletes on the program. And that's ultimately uh, my role. And obviously we don't get funded as, as high as, um, as, as athletics and, and cycling, et cetera. But I suppose, and this is rightly so, whether you are uh, botcher, para table tennis, you know, swimming, athletics, we all get uh, looked at in the same way in terms of the governance code. And we have to, you know, comply to that governance code, which is the absolutely right thing to do. It brings a lot of work for the small sports. Hence, you do still get dragged into those different, uh, different areas. But, it, but again, for all the right reasons. Having a look at your LinkedIn profile, Greg, 
business coach at Manchester Metropolitan University, high performance mentor and coach, elite coach in the EPL and ECB. Where was the, when did the interest in, in leadership and becoming a leader start for you? Very early on. And I suppose it was because I was, if you like, fast-tracked into becoming a leader at a very, very, and I say very young age. Um, you know, I was I had leadership responsibility at the age of 23. So that was when I took the head coach role at, at table tennis, para table tennis, you know, wasn't a head coach at the time. Looking back at it now, I was in terms of job title, but in terms of what I was actually doing day to day, I wasn't. I, I, was a, I was a coach with a head coach of responsibility. And so I wanted to learn. I wanted to understand more. I was always fascinated about leadership um, and leaders getting the best out of, of people, whether that's from coaching leadership, performance direct leadership, CEO leadership. And so I would say it was, you know, I was, I was fascinated with that university. And I went to university, studied coaching, sports development, leadership, you know, came as part of that leadership and management. So very early on in my, in my career. And I've always wanted to. And I don't know really where this has come from, but I've always wanted to learn, develop, grow and not get stuck to think that my ideas are the only ideas that are right or to get stuck in my own biases, as I as I brought up earlier. Or being involved in a sport for a considerable amount of time, just becoming part of the wallpaper and then not challenge my own thinking or challenge the way that we we do things. And so wanting to get involved in coach development programs for UK sport to challenge my my knowledge, my my expertise, to to, to develop myself. And then to help other people. So just before the pandemic and, you know, I'd been on leadership development programs with UK Sport, with Astridge Business School as well. Um, that really helped me. I'd had some executive coaching from that and all of those programs would really help really challenge me and challenge my assumptions and beliefs and then and then try and take some of that learnings into, into what I did day to day. And so the next step for me was to, it was part of my leadership philosophy, was to do an executive coaching program. And I did it with Barefoot Coaching, which, you know, UK Sports supported me on. And it was to really challenge my leadership to go more from advising, consulting, telling into, into asking, which as a leader, I think is, is a big key part of being a leader is asking more questions and not thinking that we know all the answers um there are times that we could be direct and this is the the strategy we need to follow but there's times we need to get that insight from a lot of people around us there's a lot of good people around us and we need to make sure they are they have the autonomy but they're also leading and making decisions themselves and i think you can do that through asking some real curious deep questions really understand the people around you and that's why i did a, a coaching program and you, you think when you go on to these coaching programs business coaching programs that you lead like that but you soon realize that you don't you you might not let people um have the time and the silence to think you know you might be but button in and trying to 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 give them the answers or to give them more advice and and actually by saying less you're, you're doing more for that person because you're giving them thinking time and reflection time so it challenged the way I led it challenged me on on where I wanted to go with my leadership and you know I'd like to think I'm using some of those skills now when I'm whether I'm leading in my PD role whether I'm mentoring where I'm doing a bit of business coaching that it really helps me as a leader ultimately as a performance director when I go into performance reviews of athletes when I go into appraisals with staff when I go into board meetings that we ask good questions and we understand what what really is someone saying you know what are they not saying and how do I explore that and I think it just helps better discussions that ultimately helps the sport make uh, better decisions for the future can anyone be a leader can you learn it yeah in my opinion yes I think absolutely there are certain traits that that make good leaders and 
if you ask me that question around are leaders born or nurtured i'd say definitely nurtured um you know because if we if we look at if it are not nurtured my ability um my philosophy the way i wanted to do things and again this is just my opinion but if i'd have just stood still from the age of 23 and not learned developed and, and grown i i I don't think I'd be a very good leader now. Well, I, I know I wouldn't, you know, I'd be telling everyone what to do. I'd be very direct in my approach. And of course, leadership still needs a bit of that. But I think one big part of leadership is the ability to adapt depending on context and the ability, um, depending on who you're working with and understanding different behaviours and mindsets and personalities. And, you know, how do you get the best out of 50 different people with all different values and all different philosophies? And I think that's good leadership to, you know, be able to, to do that. But if I'd have just stood still from the age of 23, I think I'd be very difficult in the role that I'm in now or to have had some of the successes that I've had in the roles in the roles before. So absolutely, I think it can be learnt. Uh, along with other traits of leadership, um, transformational leadership, values-driven, uh, resilience. These are all things that can be learned that then can be applied into, into leadership. A couple more questions for me. You mentioned the word success. What has been your biggest success? Um, I, I think it, it would have to come down to world champions and Paralympic champions, helping them grow and develop into, you know, being the top of the tree is very up there and it's close and you know what that's done to, to those individuals lives and you know they they are you put themselves on the map within within this country not just within the sport and it's and it will set them up for a, a really good career outside the sport that i'm really proud of and a big achievement um to help those individuals but probably what i don't think about enough actually which i think is is the breadth and depth that that at para table tennis we did in tokyo given covid uh challenges uh, preparation challenges uh it felt like a real unique paralympic games because of that and although before tokyo we had won gold medals at, uh, at in rio and we'd won a good amount of medals in london and and, and probably over exceeded expectations in london actually and, but then backed it up in in rio with a couple of gold medals and a bronze medal beat in china in the final and really great success what we did in tokyo was took took 13 athletes and 12 athletes medaled um whether that be in the individual event or the team event and it showed that breadth and depth that i that i talked about before that everybody that we took realistically had a chance to do really well and to perform to the levels that they want to perform in which takes a long time in a sport of table tennis like i said skill acquisition technical skill development and so that really looks at that start when I started as head coach in, in just after Beijing 2008, no medals in Beijing. We, we for whatever reason, just weren't there from a performance point of view. We were in, in Athens and Sydney, but we had this big change that we needed to go through culturally, performance, centralise, um, invest in the right areas, all of that that we went through after Beijing. And it took from Beijing 2008 to 2021 for us to really, I, I see, that vision play out that I, that, that I as a head coach and we as a program wanted to see um, that we can have breadth and depth across the program and people we're not relying, if you like, on one or two athletes to come to the forefront. We, we know that if, if we've got, everyone can do it and we just need to maximize and make sure that they are delivering on their potential, you know, that, that, that we know they can do. And it, that probably is the reasons why after that, I was looking for that new challenge because there was always that, um, there was all, and of course, you could say, I'll go and do that again four years' time, and we'll do it again, and we'll just keep growing and developing. Of course, could have chose that option and would have been very committed to that. 
but once we'd actually hit that vision that I, that, you know, when we talked about as a program in 2008, that that was the vision, you know, some people looked at us gone daft because it's like, we can't even take one medal. How are we going to take, you know, be one of the best in, in the world. And, and when you play out that vision, you know, the journey that you've been on, I think it's time then to, to move on and, and, and challenge yourself again in, in another sport. So that probably topped it off for me. And it was a good, you know, a good time for me then to, to look into in different roles after, after that played out in Tokyo. It may you may have already answered it, but is that then your Paralympic highlight, or is it the Will Bailey standing on the table celebrating? <laughs> so many highlights, it's unbelievable. Um, which is good, right? You've got so many highlights to choose from. Will Bailey's one was 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 really special, uh, because you know, the first gold medal that we won, we'd we had won as a program for a long time, and again, knowing Will and knowing everything he's been through. You know, he had cancer as a child. He had challenges in classification when he came into table tennis. That was special because, you know, he has worked his socks off to get to, to that to that point. But on, as well as that, and I spoke, we've all spoke, we spoke about this to the athletes and stuff. And we, you know, programs always talk about this. Well, we did anyway. Prioritizers, you know, what's been our favorite moment? What's our biggest highlight? And I think it's great. You need to talk about that. You need to celebrate these things. You know, these are the reasons why we do it is to, to celebrate these moments. It, one of the biggest ones in terms of moments that I was there as well, coaching and and in that moment was 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 probably beating China and for the bronze medal match in, in Rio. So, you know, we'd had two gold medals. Rob Davies won a gold medal. I was part of that fantastic, incredible moment. Paul Bailey, gold medal, incredible moment. There's something in, in the sport of tables is beating China goes a long way being they are the super powers and superhumans, if you like of, of table tennis and we had competed against china in 2008 and got absolutely beaten easily nowhere near them and so for then eight years of that project and that vision we're talking about to then turn up albeit a bronze medal match which still means everything to the athletes when they get to that point we you know we beat china was it was a special moment because the odds were against us we were the underdogs and to, to win that was uh and then top off and cap off if you like a real successful Paralympic Games was was one of the most special moments so just finally then here we are I said right at the start the Paralympic Games Greg are next year they're less than 18 months away I imagine you've got some kind of color-coded spreadsheet on your laptop what is the one thing on the to-do list between now and and when you get to Paris that you need to do at Boccia UK to bring that medal success that we spoke about right at the start yeah, I, I I think it's uh, and thanks for reminding me that they're so close again because I <laughs> you, you have to pinch yourself sometimes when this is a real short cycle um, to what we've known before. The one thing we need to do is is, is absolutely maximise on what we've just done from the World Championships and, and actually even if we did not got those results in the World Championships, it was about how do we maximise on our potential that we definitely have within the team in 18 months time come Paris. So we're looking at, we've just done our annual reviews and we've done all of the conversations, performance check-ins with the athletes. And we're looking at individually, how do we get the best out of you? How do we make sure that your goal that you want to achieve by Paris, we can get as close to it as possible. How do we maximize on that? And through really good strategic planning as a program where we're coming together, uh, we bring in our athletes insight, athletes input and athlete voice as well into those conversations. And therefore we maximize on it. Now, you know, that sounds very simple, but to, to do that is is a hard and, and, and challenging process. Um, but we just need to come together as a team. One of the big things that, you know, we've said as, as a team is to have, is to be really, really values driven. 
So a real important part of my leadership is, can we have really good collaboration? Can we be totally honest and open with each other? And can we bring vulnerability into the way that we do things, both with athletes and staff? And I think if we do that and take care of that and that impacts on the culture, then if we've got good planning alongside that in terms of our performance, I think we've got the best chance then to deliver on our performances in, in Paris. I believe that we only do the planning bit and we only do the strategic bit in terms of where we're going, who do we need to be careful of, and we don't do the culture bit in terms of the values driven and talking about who we are and our, our identity and why we do the things that we do and sharing personal stories with each other. I don't think we'll be as strong as teams we can be. So that for me is, is you've got, if you like, that's probably answered it in two sides. You've got the strategic performance bit. Where are we going? What do we need to do? Where are the competitions? What are our comp competitors doing? How do we stay ahead of our competitors in terms of our camp planning, our, our training day to day, the way that we are as a SLT. And then we've got the values culture bit. I think if we do those side by side, then I think we're giving ourselves the best chance to come Paris. Well, we are really looking forward to following your journey between now and then, even if it isn't that far away. <laughs> Greg Baker, Performance Director at Bocce UK, thank you for speaking to great British bosses from anything but footy. No, thank you very much. Really enjoyed that and uh, absolutely appreciate getting the invitation to come and talk about my career and, and Bocce. So thanks very much. Sports Social Podcast Network.